So there's a lot of change that's happening pretty rapidly for them that is feeling unprecedented to them. So they're really looking for that security blanket, those really secure routines and that reinforcement from their parents. Hi, I'm Alana Gallo. I'm a teacher, a mom to four, and the founder of Play, Learn, Thrive. Join me as I chat with real parents and experts as we explore all things play and child development. It's time to take the focus away from you and put the responsibility of playtime back into your kiddos' hands. So if you're tired of planning, leading, and facilitating play sessions, you found the right place. Each week, we'll explore the importance of play and how it supports child development, along with simple ways to incorporate play in a purposeful way so you can raise confident, self-motivated kids who enjoy playing independently. Hey guys, it's Alana here from Play, Learn, Thrive. Today on with Dr. Courtney, and she is a clinical and school psychologist. I'm going to let her tell you a little bit about her background. Yeah, so I have my doctorate in clinical and school psychology, and I've been working with children and families probably for the last almost 15 years in a variety of settings, both in school and clinic and uh, community mental health settings. And I'm also a mom of four. So I have a particular interest in supporting families. I love that. Yeah, same. Mom of four. Um, people think I'm crazy. Do you get that a lot? Like, I do. Wait, what? Four? And I'm like, <laughs> Did something happen? Did you play? Yeah, they're like, was that planned? And I'm like, no, yeah, it was. And actually, like, I'm not even sure if I'm done. <laughs> People are like, you're crazy. No, I love meeting other moms of, of more than more than two. It, it always yes. makes me better. It's definitely a different breed, that's for sure. Um, that's awesome. So I would love to talk we um, you know, being in the school setting and wanting to to help parents who are sort of thinking about or starting to think about how our kids are gonna be easing back into the school setting and how they've been dealing with the pandemic and what we can do to support them. So I would love to get your thoughts on that to get us started. So one of the things that I'm really encouraging my families to focus on this summer is a really slow re-entry. So spending time outdoors where kids can feel safe and be unmasked and sort of get used to being in social settings again, but at their own pace and in a really safe environment. And I know a lot of people are starting to do that already as the weather warms up, but what we are seeing both in schools and in our practice is that kids are really starting to have sort of another situational spike in anxiety where they're worried about parents returning to work. They're worried about going back into school buildings for some who haven't been there. Um, kids who have been in school buildings are worried because now all of a sudden mask mandates are dropping, but they may not be vaccinated or the younger sets may not be vaccinated. So there's a lot of change that's happening pretty rapidly for them that is feeling unprecedented to them. So they're really looking for that security blanket, those really secure routines and that reinforcement from their parents. We're talking to parents a lot about how to have conversations with their kids about return to work and return to school. Um, and then we're also kind of talking about sort of some of the things that they need to be supporting, not necessarily throwing them back into sports or activities all at once, but kind of easing back into some of those things. Yeah, no, I love that. And you mentioned like having a slow, you know, having a slow, a slow down summer kind of thing. And I think that one of the things I noticed um, when talking to parents and just kind of being in the online space and the parenting space, parents recognizing that 
their kids were um, doing things that they weren't necessarily doing prior. So like sitting and reading books or, you know, taking up hobbies or playing, you know, riding their bikes again, or just doing sort of these more quote unquote, like old school, you know, family type activities that are just a little bit more of a, of that slower pace that you're talking about. I thought that was interesting because for me, I think that's really important for kids to have that in their childhood, number one. And I think that in our society, we really don't, we don't encourage that. We don't, we're not, you know, that's not our, that's not our like vibe, right? We're like, go, go, go. And how many things can we sign you up for? And you have to be ready. And, you know, there's always like this end goal. I would love to hear your thoughts a little bit more about that because for me, I'm thinking, trying to encourage parents. And I know it's hard because they're going to be like, but they're so far behind. And the teacher in me wants to be like, behind what? What what are they what are they behind? Like are they're behind some sort of arbitrary standardized test that we've whatever, like said that this kid should know this at this time, but in all reality, we kids are different and they all develop differently and they all learn differently. And that's a whole separate conversation. But I just worry that parents are going to be so stressed out about getting them back on track, right? We hear like on track, they need to be on track for what? They need to be, you know, they're they're falling behind. And yes, of course, they've missed some academics, right? But like, that's not the most important thing in my mind for parents to be worried about as we move into summer and move through summer and kind of back into that transition period back to school. So I would love to hear your thoughts about that. So some of the research that I did when I was in graduate school was around a public health approach to social emotional learning. So what we would do is we'd go into school buildings at, from kindergarten to high school, and we would just screen them for any issues that they had. And one of the things that we looked at was how is their social emotional well-being in line with their grades. And what we found was that as long as they felt like they were thriving social emotionally, their grades also were above average. And so one of the things that we looked at was what were the, what are the predictors and what research shows about social emotional health and academic thriving. Of course, what we see is at kindergarten and at third grade, your feelings of, of security and, and social emotional well-being in those years will actually predict your eighth grade and 12th grade outcomes, right? So, and this is repeated research. It's been done over and over again, Vanderbilt, UCSB, a lot of different universities have shown the same thing. And so looking at different skills, right? Reading and math and, and other academics. So what when I think about that research being repeated over and over and over again, it makes me think that as we're re-entering, that we really need to be focused on getting our kids to a place where they feel secure, where they're feeling like their anxiety is lower, they're not stressed. And I'm seeing a lot of parallels actually between parents having to return to work. There are these mandates where they don't really know what it's going to look like, but there's either hybrid programs or there's an expectation that everybody's going to be back at work and we're all going to be back on track. And what's really interesting about that is I think a lot of that gets reflected in the way that parents are reacting and thinking, okay, well, if I'm going to be back at work and we've got to get back on track, then we've got to throw our kids back in there. But they're having anxiety of their own around the return to work. And so we really, I think, kind of sitting and honoring 
how we're feeling about needing to be back in an office space or back with productivity goals. It's the same thing with kids. We, we need that flexibility for ourselves and they critically need that flexibility this summer. But I also agree that we are definitely in a typical phase would be we'd be scheduled all summer, right? And we've had a year of sitting out of activities. And so I think there's a lot of making up for that. But if we stop and we think about it, there have been some really nice silver linings of the past year, which is what you just mentioned, some of that slowing down and kids being bored and having to either play with their siblings or go out and ride bikes or climb a tree or figure out what to do because they don't have the activities that they normally would have. So I'm encouraging parents to give a step back from technology because I think that that's also been, we've just been inundated with it in different ways this year from Zoom school to out schools and, you know, supporting different types of learning, even music classes. I, I mean, my kids have been on, you know, music Zooms and Zoom birthday parties and things like that throughout the year, but kind of stepping back and really getting them back into nature, back out playing, kind of engaging in some risky play and critical thinking, things like that. Those are the things, the areas that I'm really encouraging. I love that you just said risky play. That's one of my favorite things to talk about. But yeah, so I love that. And I, and, um, you know, I was thinking when you said that, you know, parents are jumping into back to scheduling their kids for all these activities. I was just thinking about my week last week where, my kids were home for the summer for the first day and I was pulling my hair out at like 9am and thinking to myself, like, I just can't wait for them to go back to school. And it was like day one. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm the worst parent ever. Um, And it's hard because it's been freaking hard and parents are stressed and parents are tired. And, and so part of, I think like wanting to sign them up for all these activities is like, we need a freaking break, right? Like they gotta, they gotta get out of the house. We have to like, we need to do our own things. We need to see our friends. We need to, you know, like we need to be whole humans again. So I think part of it is like this want to, you know, have something for your kid to do because you need that time and space, which is totally okay. Like no one's judging for that because I get it. I get that. Like that's my life. But at the same time, I think there's a way to do that without necessarily scheduling them into like a million structured activities. So for example, go to a field, like go literally like an open field, you know, go on a hike. If you have a backyard space and normally you're out there with your kids, like maybe try not being out there with your kids as long as it's safe, obviously. Sending them out in the backyard to play with their friends without you feeling like you have to be out there with them. Like obviously, if it's safe, if you have fenced-in backyard, or you know you're in a in an area where there's no little to no traffic. Like you know, obviously, it's going to be what works for your family, and everyone's living situation is different. But any way that you can get them to play and get them kind of to be physically away from you without necessarily having to sign them up for every little activity that's going to be as adult led and structured as it, as you typically would over the summer with like, you know, very specialized camps or higher level sports or, or whatever it is, like just very structured stuff. So kind of having that like freedom to just explore and take that pressure off, I think. Yeah. And I think what you mentioned, so one of the things that I really like, especially for parents who are juggling working or just trying to create a little bit of time for themselves is 
kind of having a, an unstructured block schedule. So I like structuring unstructured time, if that makes sense. And really creating yes. kind of like morning bucket, right? So from 10 to lunchtime, you guys get to go out in the backyard and here are three activities that you can do, right? Or you get to drop everything and read, but kind of making it fun and setting it up in a way where they have one to two things that they can choose from. So we know like giving them one to two activities versus go to the playroom and find something to do. will actually engage them and play longer. We really want to create things where they have some sort of guidance, but then once they get into that, that area, it's all unstructured and free play. And I know we talked a little bit, or I mentioned risky play, but one of the great things about risky play, as we think about going back into, and and what I mean by risky play is really anything outdoors that isn't where the, where parents aren't hovering, right? So it can be walking on a log or swinging on a swing set or anything like that, where they sort of are in control of their own so like spatial awareness and they're, they kind of get to decide what is their limit, right? Without us telling them, hey, this is your limit. The great thing about that is it really is a confidence builder. And is if you think about going back into the fall where they've had a lot of their own control taken away from them and it's sort of been a scary world, this is a place where we know it really increases confidence. It really boosts their ability to actually like self-manage and risk manage. And so I love anything like that where they can kind of learn from those kind of periods of time. Yeah, that's one of my biggest, one of my biggest things. Um, and I don't know if you've seen this, I'd be curious to know. I mean, I work in a school, I'm a teacher, um, and you've worked in that setting as well. So one of, one of the things that I've found with my students who are a little bit older, middle high school age, is their inability to manage risk and their inability to, to even initiate any kind of, like, even if it's like low risk, you know, like raising your hand and asking a question or, you know, things that are, would be considered on the the risky scale, like towards the lower end and feeling like they can't do any of those things. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about that with regards to how that is connected to like how they were raised as a child. Yeah. So there are a lot of factors that go into like willingness to risk. Right. And so let's take, I love the example of even like raising your hand and getting something wrong. So there are a number of different factors that can go into that. It could be everything from, as you mentioned, what the feedback was in their environment growing up, or even a previous relationship with a teacher where if you raised, like you were mocked or sort of made fun of, or there was some sort of punitive response to getting something wrong, right? And so they've learned to become risk adverse. So you'd rather not try. And I think this, I love this, this line of research, Angela Duckworth is really big on it, where we, we praise the effort, right? So we really need to praise like them even just being willing to take that risk to encourage them to do it again. And there is a great tool um, out there called responsive classroom. And so I love it because a lot of our teachers in the area are trained in it. And there's something that's considered the power of yet, which sort of allows for that growth mindset. I can't do that yet. Yet, yet. <laughs> that's right. Um, but at some point, so I'm not there yet, but I will be, right? The idea that I may not have gotten it right today, but if I keep trying tomorrow, I'll get it right. So encouraging that like try. Yes, that's why I do think that we have, in some ways we've gotten to a place where it you're not a good parent unless you can thrive your environment. 
and you teach kids what not to do. The problem is, if you think about toddlerhood through teen years, we're really good at saying, don't, 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 don't do this. Don't do that. That's not the right way to do that. That's super inappropriate. And now we're kind of living in this era of, and and I'm going to be really careful about how I dance around this, but cancel culture, right? And kids don't want to be canceled by their friends for saying something incorrectly. And so what we have to do is encourage them with giving dues, right? It's okay to try this. It's great that you are brave enough to try that, even though you weren't sure if you could do it or not. And next time you'll get there. So I think I like to really remind parents, it's not just about like the risky play and the hovering that can make our kids a little bit more reluctant or reticent to try something. But it really is about the fact that we need to be encouraging them when we see them. Oh, I'm so glad you tried that. You know, I'm, I'm really glad that you put yourself out there. But I couldn't agree more. I think we see a lot of risk intolerant kids right now. I feel like that's just such an important thing for parents to keep in mind because it's it's hard. Like, you know, of course you want to keep your kids safe and, you know, you don't want them to fall and break an ankle or, or touch the stove or, or fall off the log or whatever it is. Right. Or, and you don't want them to fail. You don't want them to try something and not be good at it. Like that, you know, that crushes you as a parent. I, at least, I don't know, at least it does me when I see my kids and they're struggling with something. It's so hard for me not to just jump in and fix it or jump in and show them how to do it. But I, I know better, right? I know like that that's not necessarily going to be helpful to them in the long run. So I kind of, I'm able to like take a breath and and step back, but that's, that's a hard thing to do for a lot of people and um, which is understandable. So I guess I would echo what you're saying, like just encouraging parents to really let their kids experience um, things for themselves. And that's going to, you know, give them that confidence and, um, that willingness to like keep trying something that they might not be good at. I love like my helicopter parents. So I try to give them two things, two tools. And the first one is just kind of shifting from rather than helicoptering and and preventing them from doing something like focusing the energy on like kind of being the net and catching them to like pick them back up. Right. So exactly what you just talked about. It's really hard when we're watching them and they're like not doing it well, or, or they're like definitely going to fail at it. But the idea is to focus the energy instead of preventing them from trying on helping them pick up the pieces and focusing on trying again. And so I I talk about it as like being the net, not the helicopter, but um, the other thing, or not the anchor that kind of like drags them down. But the other thing that I talk about is kind of discerning what your, where your own anxieties lie versus where your kid's anxiety lies. And what I mean by that is just kind of what you said, I think it's a really nice example of we get really nervous because we see them about to fail. And so our anxiety is in, is in the failure, but really if we let them fail there, it's such a growth opportunity. And then we can really put our energy towards where, where their anxieties are, right? So what was it about that experience that was hard for them versus what we kind of project on them? I really try to have parents sit with like what their feelings are when they get uncomfortable and just sort of ask their kids. So what was that like for you? How did you experience that, right? Like I think about one of my children, my oldest, who she loved to dance, but getting up on stage was like cringeworthy for her. But it was funny because what I would have thought was hard for her was not what she thought was hard, right? And so it's really kind of exploring with them what was hard about that for you and and holding our tongue with what we kind of think might be hard or we perceive as being the difficulty in that. 
Oh, I love that. And I think that can like bring us back to this whole idea of like kids going back to school and what are our anxieties versus what are their anxieties and trying not to project, you know, everything that we feel and think right on them or assume that they're, you know, they might not even, I mean, like my kids have zero qualms about going to places or going to school or going, you know, sometimes they'll, if we're going and it's going to be a crowded place, they'll have their mask on. If we're outside, they'll have it on. And then sometimes I'm like, oh, you can take it off if you want to. And they're like, oh, okay. Like they're just like, whatever. Okay, cool. Like they're, you know, they're also younger. So they're like a little bit less aware um, in a sense of what like the grand scheme, you know, the bigger, the bigger picture of pandemic, like they don't really understand that. They just know there was a, a virus. They know what a virus is. They know how to beat a virus. They know about immune systems, you know, all that stuff, but they really didn't, you know, so I guess I'm, I'm lucky in that sense. But I think as much as you are, you might have your own thoughts and feelings about going back to work or, or whatever it is, your kids going back to school, trying to be the calm, because I feel like kids do feed off of that energy and they might not have any issues or they might have an issue that you, like you said, like that you never would have thought and I'm trying to think, have you had any discussions with parents about that of, of like, what's the, what are the parents, some of the parent side of the issues? And then maybe like, is there a difference what you're seeing, what the kids are worried about? At the very beginning of the pandemic, I guess we were probably two months in. One of the things that we did was we went back to the literature for places where there had been like sh- shelter in place for various reasons, right? So if you think about a lot of people who are living in Asian cultures, people who are our age, so, you know, in their 30s and 40s, this is their like third shelter in place or third pandemic to live through. So if you think about SARS and different things that they have already been through, they've actually, they provide a really nice template for us to look at some of the research. Um, There are also some war-torn areas, things like that, where there are intense periods of shelter in place in really high anxiety settings. And so what I wanted to know was what were the best predictors of positive outcomes for kids? And what were some of the things that served as protective factors? And then what were some of the things that would predict poorer outcomes, right? That that would kind of contribute to like not great well-being after a shelter in place situation. And so what we found was it was parents' anxiety and the way that parents actually managed in the house that provided, so those with lower anxiety who sort of explained things to their children in a way that was really developmentally appropriate and then provided a really good model for managing stress, their kids ended up having better outcomes coming out of all of those, right? So what I really talk to my parents about right now is they're intensely focused on their kids and making sure that their kids are doing well. But that added pressure can actually be more challenging for the kids. So what I'm encouraging them to do now is really focus on their own well-being and and really taking care of themselves. I'm doing this in service of their children as much as I am of them, right? But all of the things that we say are good for kids, which is getting out, being with people, reconnecting when it's safe to, and in a way, being out in nature, taking a hike and just kind of regrounding ourselves Um, finding hobbies and things, pursuits that we really enjoyed, whether it's going for a run or baking, whatever is kind of like your stress relief, baking those things into your day is so critical. And it's really critical for your kids to see you doing it because rather than focusing all of that, like nervous energy on getting them back, it gives them a model, right? We are, we learn socially, we are 
biologically engineered to learn from our parents and in community with one another. So when, when our kids see us like taking care of ourselves and really happy and really contained, it gives them a blueprint to do that. And, and it's really important for them. But that's, that's one of the biggest disconnects that I'm seeing right now is parents are f- focusing their energy on their kids, but actually that that focus can sometimes be more stressful for the kids. Whereas the parents are starting to really engage in self-care. And I know it's like, it's a loaded term, but just kind of taking care of themselves and, and providing a model for that, the kids are actually really thriving. No, I love that. And um, it's funny because I feel like parents do that, not only with this, you know, in this situation, but just in general, right? Like we, we worry so much about our kids and you know, are they eating? Are they growing? Are they learning? Are they doing this? Are they meeting their milestones? And like that pressure is not, A, not going to make any type of real change because they're going to develop and they're going to grow and they're going to do what they need to do. Um, mostly without much uh, support or guidance, if that makes sense. Like, you know, kids are very, resilient. Like we didn't, you know, we didn't uh, get through like the hunter gatherer phase by helicoptering, helicopter parenting, right? Our kids, like they just like did their thing. And so I feel like we have sort of taken some of that natural like development away from them, if that makes sense, because we're so trying to control and like mitigate risk and control what's happening. And you got to learn this at this age and you should be doing this at this age. And instead of kind of letting them go at their own pace and like they might excel in one area and be quote unquote behind in another, but then, you know, in a year or two, maybe they pick up that and then they're excelling in that. And, and like, I just think it's, it's hard when parents are really so focused on like, this is what my kid should be feeling, doing, thinking, eating, you know, instead of taking a step back and looking at your kid and saying, okay, here's where my kid is. And, and in, in the same family, each kid is different. So you can't even apply the same model to each kid in your family, because in, in, in an ideal world, you're parenting each kid in a very, in, in a different way based on, you know, how they react to certain things and what kinds of things they need from you as a parent. So that's interesting that you said that. I don't know if you have any but we're going to wrap up. So any last minute thoughts that you want to share with parents, like tips for, you know, going back to the back to school, what should maybe like the top like things parents should be thinking about? Yeah, I mean, I, I think going back to kind of where we where we began, where we started is really just, I think, one assessing and, and I think you just mentioned this too, which is great each of your children's needs, right? Like not assuming that our kids kind of have the same needs or blanket needs. There've been a lot of things that have popped up during the pandemic that I I know some moms that I've worked with have said, I can't believe we're not talking about this. Like my kid is now sleeping in my bed and they've been in my bed for the last three months. And so there are those things that are very clearly bleeding into family life and personal life. And so just kind of, you know, paying attention to the different cues and what's going on for each of your kids and and each of their different needs. And I do think kind of seeking out that research supported advice is really important. So I know that people are more willing to talk to psychologists and therapists and child development coaches and things like that right now. And I think it, it could be a really good time if you're, if you feel like it meets that level if your kids are really stressed or really anxious. But I would say it really is about kind of shifting 
your focus, getting kids ready, right? So right now we're having a lot of conversations around parents going back to work and what that means and how to have those conversations. And then what it's going to look like if you are going to camp or you are going to school and really reassuring them, right? So one of the other things I like to remind my parents of younger children is that reassurance for younger children isn't really about conversation. It's about physical touch. They like to know that their parents are there and they may want to be with you more, even as they're spending like the day at camp. Don't be surprised if they get home after six hours at camp and they just want to sit on you and and rub your hand or hold your hand or hug you. Um, And so just kind of prepping and being ready for some of that like physical reinforcement as well. I love that you just said like prepping for that because I totally had like a wave of like, oh, like just knowing how much, you know, how, you know, my kids are all young, they're six and under. So it's like, you know, the physicality of like just constantly wanting to be held or touched or rubbed or, you know, it's like picked up and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, but you're right. It's, um, I never really thought about it like that. Like that is how you reassure them because they're not necessarily at that logical state, right. Where they're like understanding verbal reassurance. So knowing that and like being able to mentally prepare yourself that, okay, you know, my kid's going to come home and I need to be available in that way. Because I think that that definitely makes a difference. Like if you're, if you're not thinking about it and then your kids are all over you, you're just like, ah, get up. You know, you just, it's just hard to deal with that. But if you're like, if you can tell yourself, okay, this is why it's happening. And I love that. So that's great advice. Awesome. So can you let um, everybody know where they can find you, your website, your social media and all that? Yes. So I am at Dr. Courtney Bolton and that is both for Instagram and my website is drcourtneybolton.com. I'm also at Beer Clinic, which is our website that supports working parents through community and vetted experts. I love that. And we will link all of that in the show notes so that you guys can give a follow and check out her stuff. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. This is great. You don't want to miss out, right? Woo-hoo. Hey, friend. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Play, Learn, Thrive show. I'm happy you stopped by for another week of learning with me. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. I so appreciate your feedback. I'd also love for you to join our community of over 20,000 parents on Instagram. You can find us at Play, Learn, Thrive Kids.